Don't give up for one second, one moment, or one instant. Cling greedily to the victory you have within your sight. I will prepare for the beyond. The next time you see me, I'll be ready. I've got the bad feeling about this. Check out this splash! Welcome to another episode of We Talk Funny. I'm your host, Ken Pringle. And today should be a good one because I'm going to chat with one of my best friends in the business, my brother in voice acting. It's Brock Powell. We're going to chat about his new show, Mickey Mouse Fun House, now airing on Disney Junior. And, well, it's the two of us, so we're probably also going to nerd out about a bunch of geek stuff. In the meantime, I'm going to celebrate with a big bowl of Brock's favorite breakfast cereal. It's the classic Lucky Charms. Introduced in 1964, this is actually the very first breakfast cereal that ever used marshmallows. In fact, Kraft Foods still holds the patent to those marshmallows, which are technically known as Marbets. Now, I could talk about Lucky Charms for a long time because it's a fascinating history, but I'm going to leave you with just one simple little trivia question. Through all the different dozens of different styles of marshmallows that they've had in Lucky Charms, only one marshmallow shape has never been removed from the permanent roster. Do you know what it is? The answer is Pink Hearts. I hope that little trivia tidbit was as tasty as whatever Saturday morning sugary goodness you're eating right now. Sit back, relax, and as we always say here on the show, spoons up, let's dig in. Welcome to We Talk Funny. I'm your host, Ken Pringle. And my guest today, you've heard him in video games like Genshin Impact and Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. He is all over the Disney properties like Milo Murphy's Law and the new Phineas and Ferb movie, Candace Saves the World. And better yet, he is the voice of the Kool-Aid Man. And you can currently hear him in the new show, Mickey Mouse Funhouse on Disney Junior and Disney Plus. Please welcome my buddy, Brock Powell. Hey, that was a great intro. Thanks, man. That was really great. Thanks. Um, I know. It's like I have professionally hosted or something. I don't. I don't know where it came from. It's in the jeans. It, are you wearing jeans? I can just see the top. You got this beautiful. As far what, as what, the audience knows, I'm wearing jeans. They don't. No, you're in a full suit. So I'm so sorry. What 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 print are you wearing, Ken? You always have these great shirts. Oh, this one. Oh, well, yeah. This one. This is a this is a cool one. I, I'm glad you're asking me to describe something that absolutely no one at home can see. <laughs> Uh, this, this is actually talk about the sequins. This this is a shirt from a company called Roosevelt's, which the fans have heard me talk about before because I'm a, I'm a huge fan of their uh, company. Yeah, uh, I'm just trying to get us about our sponsorship here for you. Oh, the yeah, Lion yeah. King is that? Yeah, the, this is the, the Lion King shirt. So it's, it's purple. Yeah, it's called the Elephant Graveyard, and it's it's elephant bones all over it, and then you occasionally see like like Scar or the hyenas walking through it. Wow, I, I love this shirt. It's so cool. Yeah, wow. right there on the pocket, you can see Scar there. Look at that. Yeah. And everything the light touches is tumble dry safe. So that's great. That's <laughs> nice. 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 Well, I appreciate you coming here on the uh, on the podcast. And uh, the very first thing I want to ask you, because this is what I ask all my guests. I, you know, I don't even need to ask you. I know the answer. You, my friend, were a Saturday morning cartoons kind of kid, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm a Saturday morning cartoon man or, or person now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wish Saturday morning cartoons was still a thing, but it's you get to make them a thing. You have streaming services. If you're stubborn and subscribe to everything like me, um, I think all of uh the Gen One Transformers and G.I. Joe are available on Tubi, which is like this weird, like license free uh with advertising. You can watch, I think I want to say Street Sharks is on there. So you can recapture your childhood if you just have time to burn and are stubborn. So, and, <laughs> that's what it, But that implies that I'm going to keep all of that to Saturday mornings now. Like, I, Oh, that's true. I love Saturday mornings, but if I'm going to watch those shows, I'm going to be watching them at two in the morning. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, you're Tuesday. No, right. Yeah. It's <laughs> like ha- half in the bag. And, and by that, it, it, I mean exactly. half in the jack in the box bag for me. It, it's going to be two. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be three quarters of the way through Taco Bell. And I'm going to be like, you know what I need to watch right now? Some Brave Star. The brave star, <laughs> a silver ox. I'm trying. What's the most obscure one I can think of? Tiger sharks. God, oh, cops. Not the yeah. not, not the Fox show. C O P S, where it was yes. the cops in the future. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> oh. 
Man, uh, what was it? Mummies Alive. Did you ever catch that one? Oh yes, Mummies Alive. Yes, that was was that one of the uh, was that one of the Deke syndicated shows? That, that was a Deke syndicated, and I don't I I have no idea who the audience was because it was <laughs> not quite Ninja Turtles, and it was not quite scary. It was like they were trying to go for the creepy. Cr- if I remember, the toys were like gooey. So like they could stretch and do so they were trying to go for the creepy crawly kids gotcha. and it just didn't it just didn't go there I can't even remember the names I just remember they were all different mummies <laughs> so because one mummy is never enough oh. that, that's the lesson Universalist learned with the Universal Monsters franchise years ago we don't need Dracula and the Wolfman we just need more mummies more nothing mummies. but mummies you know what Tom Cruise needs a mummy. That's that's true. That's, that's right. true. Watching the original Mummy, I was like, this this would be a lot better if it had some risky business going on. I thought that's what's missing here. Dee, dee, dee. Yeah. Oh, but now yeah. I'm going to do my bad Karloff. Onkthenomen. He had that very sort of pronounced kind of little speech impediment. Um, <laughs> that was uh, when they later on did Frankenberry. That's who the original guy was doing. An, he was doing an impression, the, of, impression Karloff. of Karloff. Yeah. And Karloff, I think he did um, – for Rankin Bass, Mad Monster Party, I think he played the doctor. Oh, really? And yes. And so if you go and you watch it, it was a stop motion because this is airing right right around the uh, Halloween. So if yeah. you haven't seen it, Mad Monster Party, I believe, has Elaine Stritch in it. And I want to see Boris Karloff, probably Lugosi somewhere. And it was a stop motion. The, the company that did Thundercats and the Christmas specials decided that they would do a weird 1960s Halloween special that is second to none to me. It, it's just I, trippy and wonderful. I've never seen it. I am so going to track that down now. Ma- Mad Monster Party. And, and I believe Boris Karloff is in it doing this voice. So, yeah. Oh, I am totally going to find that now. That's awesome. Now, going back to when you were a kid, Saturday morning cartoons and such, did you have a particular favorite? Was there something that you really could not miss? Um, you know, it's funny you asked that because I was, I was thinking about that. I, uh, the Disney afternoon stuff, which actually didn't air on Saturdays, the stuff right. that I watched. Was well, occasionally they would bring one over on a Saturday morning yeah, on what, ABC, they would do, one call Saturday it one, morning and all that. Yeah, but, one Saturday morning. Um, yeah. The first show I remember like flipping out about was gargoyles like i could not miss gargoyles sure. and i want to say that aired on weekdays after school yeah gar- well because gar- gargoyles was going up against batman the animated series that, yeah, that yeah. was disney so, trying to horn in on that more adult teen fair and that weirdly was the other one i was going to say was batman the animated series is the other one that i obviously just have a lot of great memories of Right. Um, I still get chills, like looking at the title, like the, I just want the art of the title cards in my booth. Just right. You go back and watch some of those, some of those episodes. And it's, it's, it's funny because a lot of, a lot of series don't age all that well. And, you know, we don't look at them through the same eyes because we're adults now. Mm -hmm. Batman, the animated series holds up so well. It's like scary. the episode Perchance to Dream is still one of the best episodes I've ever seen, yeah. which is where uh, Mad Hatter captures Batman without Batman realizing it and puts him in a dream world where he thinks he can keep Batman asleep forever by giving him everything he's ever wanted, which means he's in a world where he's not Batman because his parents are are alive. Right. Yeah. And it's just it's so powerful. The, the acting is so good and the writing is phenomenal. Yeah. Holds up incredibly well. Well, so. even more than Burton, the, the character designs that Bruce Tim did and, and the writing like Paul Dini and so many others yeah. did on that show, like Mr. Freeze wasn't a punchline. He became yep. a really tragic and amazing soon to be, you know, an Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. But before that, <laughs> uh, before it became a snowmobile for Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, the Victor Freeze on there, the, the villains. It, it it was a monster of the week that was done in such a really tasteful way. Yeah, and as much as everyone rightfully so talks about like Mark Hamill's Joker, because come on, yeah, every villain on that show, every villain. I mean, Arlene Sorkin as Harley Quinn, and well, it, it says something that the show was so strong that it created its own villains that went on to become major parts of the canon. Like Arlene Sorkin as Harley Quinn or uh, Rachel Ghoul, characters that didn't really exist before that show. Right. Well, and who um, was Ron? Who did Ron Perlman voice? Was he Clayface? I want to say he was Clayface, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember. No. And then no. Richard Mull was Two Face, I think. Um, but to me, like going back now and looking yeah. at those voice actors and their careers, it was like, wow, what a. Yeah. So. 
to answer your question in a really long-winded way, Batman the Animated <laughs> Series and Gargoyles was probably the show that really stuck out to me as as my Saturday morning go-to. And then yeah. as an adult, I constantly go back to those series when auditioning for new things because right. they were, as far as voice acting goes, the pinnacle of, of what I, I try to achieve, which is like incredible characters with a lot of heart and um that that border of levity and humanity yeah Um, because that's what makes great characters wonderful is like it could be a talking bologna sandwich but it needs to remind me of myself it needs to remind you of yourself it needs to feel human oh yeah the the performances on there were so good i I, i'm almost embarrassed to admit this but many years ago i uh, i ran a a comedy website that was very popular and uh i so i would go to comic-con on a press pass Oh, fun. And, you know, I, I did my work and all of that. But with a press pass, you could reach out to different panels and stuff and arrange for interviews and things like that for what, you know, would fit your media outlet. And so normally I would talk to the latest comedy shows or whatnot. But <laughs> I actually made sure I got press credentials to go on to uh, the, uh, the the behind the scenes, you know, backstage stuff for Batman Brave and the Bold simply because it was my one chance to talk with Andrea Romano. Yeah. And I, I was such a huge Andrea Romano fan. I mean, she she was the the voice director for all of that DC universe animated stuff before she retired. And I was just I was blown away to get to talk to her. That was huge. I don't think I used any of that anywhere and I really appreciate her and Diedrich Bader taking the time to talk to some young kid who was really just scamming them. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was such a huge fan. I was so bummed when she retired that I had never gotten the chance to work with her because just an incredible, incredible talent. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that other than second. <laughs> second. <laughs> now, when you were watching Saturday morning cartoons, you know, uh, uh, as a kid, a big part of that tradition was the cereal. Did you have a favorite breakfast cereal to go with it? Oh, great question. Uh, Captain Crunch is my go-to, but I'm going uh, right now in my thirties, I'm going through a hard Lucky Charms phase because they, you mm. know, they released the marshmallows only. Yep. But they're, this shit's at Seven Eleven. Like you can go... <laughs> <laughs> and there are bagged marshmallows. Like I feel like a criminal. <laughs> I and they let me buy it, and I just am like putting it down, waiting for them to be like, "Tell me there's a limit." But yeah, I've so I've got a bunch of Lucky Charms marshmallows outside of my booth right now. That's my go-to. But Captain Crunch was my favorite favorite. See, Lucky Charms, Lucky Charms hurt me a little bit not too long ago because I love Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms yeah, yeah. is great, but they've done a bunch of different flavors of Lucky Charms. Oh, where got it. The like, marshmallow oh, chocolate chain? Lucky Charms, and you know all these different. They've got uh, Lucky Charms galactic shapes out right now, things like that. Anyway, I saw a box. I want to say six months ago, where it was Frosted Flakes and Lucky Charms. No, and I was like, this is a combination. I have to try. This sounds amazing. What I forgot is that Frosted Flakes is not a trademarked name because it's too generic. And Frosted Flakes with Tony the Tiger and Lucky Charms are not produced by the same company. So what I really got was a bunch of Lucky Charms marshmallows with these terrible second-rate cornflakes that just, I had this fantasy in my mind that I was going to get this incredible flavor in my bowl, and instead it was just soggy, and I'm just picking out marshmallows like I would with regular Lucky Charms. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I'm just picturing that commercial. Uh, Lucky Charms and Frosted Flakes, they're green. (laughs) And then they dance on your taste buds. So something I want to uh, uh, chat with you about, because I I, I know some of it, is how did you you first get started in VO? What is, you know, what, what drove you to it? There was an old druid outside of the forest of Irvine who had two bird skulls. No, um, I always did impressions. Uh, you know, like we hear so many of these stories now that I wish mine was more interesting, but I had undiagnosed or I should say diagnosed, but unmedicated ADHD. So I was, I was doing stand-up comedy back in Vegas at a very young age because I was always very large. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did stand up at the Stardust before it turned into stardust. <laughs> and oh. <laughs> uh, I worked there in the summers and was able to get into the casinos because my, my mom ran a sunglass booth. So I would do the circuits and do all that stuff. And um, impressions were always like the the trick I had. Um, so it started as a lunch table trick, then kind of elevated into something that I would, I when I was studying theater properly in college and was thinking of, you know, wanting to go to Broadway and all those things, uh, a young man's foolish dreams. Uh, I realized that 
the characters always started with the voice for me. So uh, I had an opportunity uh, to go around the world like so many people do. No, not really. But uh, I was getting my degree in theater and there was this opportunity to go around the world. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought maybe I would try to go to a cruise ship. Maybe I would do like some stand up thing. And, and I, I had no idea how I was going to make my living as a as an actor. And on this trip around the world, there was someone on the trip named Shirley. Uh, and you can call her Shirley. But uh, Shirley was uh, was a, was somebody I didn't talk to much. And we traveled all, all these countries uh, like Argentina, Russia. And then we were in Israel for this like history class. Mm-hmm. And as we're hiking up the Fort Masada, which has this like crazy, you know, Roman Roman history. She asked me this question like, oh, you're a theater major. What is the and specifically what is the weirdest thing you could see yourself doing with voiceover? Sorry, not with voiceover. With a theater major. What's the weirdest thing you can see yourself doing with with your theater major? Uh, yes. Sorry, I'm underslept and overcaffeinated. Uh, I'm, it's okay. I'm, I wanted to point out the fact that you slipped in an airplane reference in there and then left no time for it to actually be a joke. As if it's just a thing that we say in normal conversation. You can't say your name is Shirley without clarifying you're allowed to call me Shirley and just move on. Like. <laughs> I thought you would just appreciate it later. It's just because oh, I'm quick. Oh, I got it. It, it, didn't, it didn't slip past me. <laughs> you're like, it just wasn't funny. And, it, and you're like, I was concerned because you didn't even give me time to tell you it wasn't funny. So, I, <laughs> um, yes. So uh, I was on this trip, got asked this question. And about like a couple hours earlier, because we were traveling um, and at that time it was like the iPhone 4 or something, you know, absurd. Uh, there was only one number. and. Uh, I got a ping from the OC register, which was the paper local to Anaheim and Irvine, where I went to college, basically yeah. saying that the new voice of Mickey Mouse had been announced because Wayne Allwine, the longtime voice of Mickey and uh, husband to the longtime voice of Rusey Taylor, Taylor, Wayne, yeah. passed away. And he had passed away a couple of years before, but Disney hadn't publicly named who the successor was. So there was this article, a very early article about Brett Iwan, who was the voice of now is currently the voice of Mickey Mouse. Right. And so it was just this full circle of like, I'd always done these impressions. I never thought of it as a thing that someone got paid to do. And then I got asked this question on this mountaintop in this weird, like Holy Land experience. Um, And religion aside, it really was a a very spiritual experience for me because it just came out of my mouth. I was just like, I want to be a voice actor. I want to work for Disney. And it was like, no one's ever asked me that before. It wasn't rehearsed. It just was a fully formed idea. And my mouth opened and it just went bleh. So I came down the mountain, went back to America and uh, finished my degree and then decided that thing that came out of my mouth was what I was going to do. And I had no idea how to get started and I had an opportunity to audition for the genie at the Aladdin show. And I thought, this is great. The genie was my inspiration. Robin Williams was my inspiration to do impressions at all and comedy at all. This is the role for me. So I go to this audition, go through like five callbacks. I'm not kidding. And then it's down to me and another person and the guy, uh, and I won't say his name cause he still works for the company pulls me aside and he goes, look, I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now, which they, you know, they can't see me. So I'll just say I'm in amazing shape. But the point being, um, <laughs> this casting director pulls me aside and goes, look, you're too fat to be on the stage. You are, you are too big for me to put on our stage. You can sing, wow. you can move, you're funny, but you're too heavy. And, I had experienced heartbreak in my career. You know, there are a couple other stories where that kept coming into play. And I just remember walking out of that room. It was at the Debbie Reynolds, Debbie Reynolds dance studio, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Out in Studio City. Yeah. 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 And that's where they do all their, all their like casting stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. I've been to casting sessions there before. Yeah. So I'm walking out and I'm just heartbroken. I have no idea what I'm going to do now because this was the thing that was supposed to work out. I was perfect for it. And I probably was crying and through misty eyes, I see a poster that says, do you want to be the voice of a Disney character? And had a picture of, of crush the turtle on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like as if it was speaking to me, I was like, uh huh. Yeah. And so it was like, come back here. Yes, inanimate on this object. Day. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once they escorted me out, <laughs> I came back <laughs> at the day and the time to do that audition. I think it was actually down at Disneyland. Um, Got the job and my life changed. And that's the story. That's the honest to God story. I came off a mountaintop, got rejected, got called fat. <laughs> and then I decided that I wanted to find a job in voiceover so that I could continue to be characters that I didn't look like and breathe life into things that weren't limited by my size, shape, or skin color. Yeah. And 
um, like so many other people. I didn't want to be limited by my by my imagination. Um, I wanted to be like completely just free. Go back to the yeah. genie thing, right? I like so that you, you started this story with, well, everybody's got one of these stories. And then the story continues with, well, after God spoke to me in the Holy Land, I came down a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you I know, guess – as VO of as voice actors do, that's just that's what we do. <laughs> Everyone's got a good one. Come on, Carlos told you his burning bush story. Come on. <laughs> if if you don't have a couple of tablets of God in your booth, are you really an actor at all? <laughs> oh well, I should I should mention though that the voice that I heard was Jack Angel, so it wasn't it wasn't actually God. But <laughs> I'm. Now, as you started pursuing voice acting, uh, uh, you you and I have a, a a very good mutual friend in Bill Farmer, who is uh, the uh, the voice of Goofy forever. He is a literal Disney legend. Um, but I know that Bill has played a very important role in your story as a voice actor, and I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about that a bit because it's a great story. Yeah. Um. So, Bill Farmer uh, produced my first demo in town, um, and that was sort of like the first business connection I had was this person that I was going to give money to and knew that I could do it. Um, but working backwards a little bit before that demo process had happened, I was working mm. at Disneyland because I got the job doing the turtle for a bit and then ended up moving around at Disneyland. And I was a tour guide. I did a bunch of other things. And through that experience, I um, eventually was working two jobs because I decided I wanted to move to Los Angeles. Had no idea. Again, there's a pattern in my life. I had no idea what to do next. So I knew that I wanted to do voiceover. I knew that LA was where I had to be. And I knew that I had to save up a certain amount of money to get this thing, this demo thing. Yeah. And I had a goal for how much I needed to save. So I worked two jobs. I worked at Disneyland at the day. And then I worked at night as a janitor across from um, Chapman Film School. And while I was mopping the floors, Rob Paulson's podcast, Talking Tunes, uh, was keeping me company late at night often. And there was an episode early on in there where Bill comes on talking about the demo company that he runs with his son, my now best friend, Austin. Right. They had just started it. And I can't remember the exact dates, but, you know, it, it's pretty crazy if you go back and you find this episode because he actually talks about, like, the physical address of the location of the studio. Yeah. So I sent a letter to that address. I just wrote it down and I was like, this is the man I want to mentor me. And then I listened to another episode with a different guest and I, that guest gave their address out and I was like, this is it. I'm going to send two letters and whoever gets back to me, that will be my mentor. Have I ever told you this story? Uh, I, so I, the, I, yeah, I know this story. Yeah. So the first one was the Jim Cummings. Uh -huh. I never heard back. Uh, the second one was to Bill. One month goes by, two, three, four, five, six months. I get a phone call from Bill's amazing wife, Jen, who says, and I, Bill absolutely would not mind me saying this because we both discuss it. Uh, we're, we both have ADHD. So the letter had been opened and read and and had fallen, I think, somewhere near or behind a printer but and discovered a few his, months Yeah, later. behind his desk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Jen, realizing what had happened and seeing it, they basically were like, what are you doing tomorrow or or like that night? And I was just leaving Disney. I got in my car and I drove up to Bill Farmer's house with, with Jen. And I sat in the living room and told them my life story, told them about hearing Jack Angel's voice, told them about all this <laughs> stuff. Um, that's a callback, kids. That one's for free. Um, and uh, Bill was like, well, you know, let's see what you got. And uh, we just did impressions. And I was able to keep up. And as it turned out, he had made a promise to his mentor, Dawes Butler, speaking of Captain Crunch. Um, yep. who was Yogi Bear, Elroy Jetson, you name it. Yeah. Um, Dawes mentored Bill and one day told Bill, you know, one day you're going to have to repay the favor. And uh, about the time that I had sent the letter, Bill had started to think about taking on a protege right. or starting to teach, unbeknownst to me. So the timing just worked out in this really crazy way. And um, well, right. Bill told me one time that he had been talking about, Oh, you know, it's time, you know, Hey, I think it's time for me to start living up to my promise to, to Dawes. Yeah, and then, yeah. and that was just a, a couple of days before Jen was cleaning in the office and found the letter that had fallen behind the desk, it, which it's is pretty, just, that's amazing. That That's pretty, so cool. It's, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. And, and when you realize too, like, um, you know, the, 
I made my demo around the time as another client who's gone on to great success. Caitlin Robrock had made her demo with Toonhouse. Mm-hmm. So to have like common ground and common relationships with with other actors that are in the same ball game and uh, people yeah. I deeply respect, but more than a business connection, and and this is the the God's honest truth, more than advice about acting and networking, I got great solid advice on how to be a good person in Los Angeles because. Yeah. Bill is one of the most talented humans I've ever met, but he is also one of the most humble and kind and sincere. And he has taught me more about what to do with your success than how to get it. And and I've learned both from him, but I think the, the most valuable thing I learned was like how you act when you receive success. And the key is you don't act like you have it. (laughs) <laughs> and so that that is the God's honest truth and something that I will always take with me. And yeah, I sent a letter and I got a family and uh, yeah. they've led me to a lot of great things and great friends. And I now work for Tuna House, plug, plug, as the the assistant co-producer of demos. And um, we did your demo and it was yeah. fabulous. Thank you. Yeah. No, you guys did my demo. And I mean, the, the, look, look, they all know the whole farmer clan knows that I'm a I'm a huge, huge fan of all of theirs. Very I talk awesome. to Jen on Facebook regularly. Like I, they are the nicest people in the world. I would do anything for them. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Bill is is an incredibly talented human being. Um, that was a big part of the reason I did the the demo with Tune House. Uh, yeah. you, know, you and I were talking and you said to me, you were like, yeah, you know, I want to bring my uh I want to bring my 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 best friend to to lunch. We we're going to meet for lunch, and you're like, oh, this is my friend Austin. He uh, you know, his dad uh, his dad's a voice actor. He's this guy named Bill Farmer, and I'm like, oh my god, because unbeknownst to you at the time, you know, I, I've said before that I there's three voice actors in particular who had strongly influenced me getting into the industry many, many years ago. Um, the number one is, is Mark Hamill for a lot of different reasons, and, and that'll come up some other time. But uh, the other two is Maurice LaMarche because he had started as a comic the way I started. And the Absolutely. third was Bill Farmer. And I, I told Bill the first time I met him that the thing that really influenced me about him uh, was the movie, uh, a goofy movie. Um, because, yes, it's a great movie and all of that, but it showed me how great acting could take a character that it would be very easy to be one note. It would be very easy to be just comic relief and invest, invest him with a, a life of his own and a, and a, a heart and, you know, a, a character like goofy that, that somebody who didn't know the, the nuances of a performance would go, Oh, it's just, you know, it's, it's goofy. He's just a funny character watching him talk about how, you know, uh, how he trusts his son. And the heart in that performance, you know, that, uh, you know, I don't need to check. I trust my son. And, you know, the the line that everybody remembers with him and Jason Mars, you know, him and Marsden, you know, talking about, you know, I've got my own life and I just want to be a part of it. And Bill, I mean, Bill broke my heart. I wept at that performance. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I don't want to be the guy who just goes out there and says, I've got a funny voice too. Like Bill is very much about finding the truth of a character and making you relate to them on such a primal emotional level that yeah uh, getting to talk to bill and then finding out that he was such an incredible person on top of all of that talent is just yeah it's it's an amazing amazing thing and it doesn't always overlap in voiceover more than any other industry it usually does there like you mentioned Maurice. Uh, i i joked about carlos earlier yeah two uh, two amazing really great people um we're very fortunate, but, but Bill's, Bill's a legend among all of, all of the voice actors I know for exactly the reason you're talking about. Yeah. The, we're, we're very fortunate that there are so many great people in the voice acting industry in particular. You know, um, I always said that, you know, I started on camera and, and doing on camera, it was, it was hard to hang out with actors because they always wanted to talk about the project that they almost got. Yeah. And what they were going to do with their career. And then obviously I, I'd been successful as a comedian. I've you know, known comedians for 20 years and I like comedians. A lot of my friends are comedians, but they tend to be very cynical and sort of outsiders. And then when I started working with voice actors, it was like, these are the people I want to go to a barbecue with. Mm-hmm. These are the people who aren't here because they're looking to get rich and famous. They're here because they enjoy their work and they want to hang out with their friends and they want to put something good out into the world. And that is enough. And I, I love that. I, I, it's one of my most treasured things about being a part of this industry. Me too. Yeah. I I have nothing to add to that. I absolutely second that. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. 
Uh, so going back to when you were first starting in VO, what was your first recording experience? Do you remember what that experience was like? It was in a closet in a high rise in the fashion district. It was six hours long with uh, a woman named Olya from Russia who had hired me to do a book called Get Rid of Your Accent, which I think was published in 2011, specifically targeted at Russian traveling business people who would be in America learning a West Coast dialect. So I'll let you do the math between 2011 and 2016, but the book did very well. And that was my very first my very first job. Not, not where you would normally expect a career to start. You know, most people, it's like, oh, I booked this commercial or, oh, I got to do this local radio spot or something. And you're in a closet in the fashion district. That's with, fantastic. With, with someone named Olya from Russia. And it was great. It was a really great experience. <laughs> and then you know, obviously you've done a lot of work since then doing video games and, yeah. and you know Dis- all the Disney projects and all that. Uh, which role would you say you've had the most fun with? Um, I always am tempted to steal Rob's line, which is ah, the next one, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But working on Mickey Mouse Funhouse right now has been, for all the reasons you kind of mentioned before, uh, I voice two characters on the show. Um, I'm Teddy the Doghouse. Yeah. So I am Pluto's best friend, also voiced by my mentor, Bill Farmer. Which is incredible. <laughs> happened completely independently. Like, it did not have anything to do with us knowing each other. It really just was... Right place, right time. I happened to do dog voices because I was mentored by a great guy. Who does dog voices. <laughs> and no one hand didn't talk to the other. And I just ended up getting the part. And then I hear his voice through the cans. And it was just really because this was during COVID. We were recording. Yeah, yeah. We weren't able to see each other. So I would hear, you know, row, row, and then I would go. Arr! And as silly as that is, that was like my tribute. And, and is a tribute to to everything that he and his family have done to me, oh, done, man. done I mean, for me. I don't know that I don't know that I could record that without a tear in my eye, man. I mean, you were trained by the legendary Disney dog, and you are now an official Disney dog. Like that's oh, what an incredible, it, incredible right? place to go. <laughs> I know. I so I've also gotten to be a Disney cat. I voice Mochi for the Big Hero Six uh, shorts and yeah, the Baymax dreams. Cool. Yeah, on yeah. Disney so I've done uh, the only official voice of the cat, which is cool because it was a real. Yeah, cat. I was gonna say I didn't think Mochi had a voice in Big Hero Six. Mochi but... was a real cat, and then I guess he didn't work for scale. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> but I. Yeah, the cat couldn't get to a microphone in COVID. I don't know. So then um, <laughs> Disney television animation hired me to be Mochi. And then I got to like do more with it than just the cat. Yeah, he becomes like a, a kaiju and a big scary monster cat, which is great. But Funhouse is probably the most fun I've had. Um, I also voice Schneezel, who is this sort of like the curly of the three stooge dynamic dynamic that they're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other two weasels are Jennifer Lewis and Richard Kind, who are two oh, of my- fun. It's- that's cool. So much fun. So I voice like Sneasel, who's sort of like my version of Estelle Harris. It's kind of George's mom. <laughs> and um, it, it was just the idea was like, I'm a big guy with a high voice. And they designed this big weasel um, based off the Roger Rabbit Toon Patrol. Oh, okay. But they were kind of like making them more like less scary and, you know, no no bats or cigarettes. Or yeah, anything. yeah. But, you know, your first instinct when you see a big dumb weasel or something round is you want to go kind of down here, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like... Well, no, I'm a big guy with a high voice. So like, what if, and the director agreed, like, what if we just tried it? You know, so then we kind of just committed to like this sort of like squeaky kind of thing. And the cool part is every world that Sneasel goes to, because on the show, Mickey and friends take the doors to anywhere, stairs to anywhere to go into different worlds. So it's kind of like Kingdom Hearts mixed with a little Mickey Mouse clubhouse. Yeah. And and everything in the world shifts. So if they're in the pirate world, all the costumes are different. All the other things are, you know, the characters are, are changing. And the team has allowed me to change the voice of my character slightly for each world that we're in. So if we're in a Western world, I get to kind of do like this voice with a little little of this um and if we're in like a british world i get to do this voice with this so as an actor <laughs> to be able to like be met with such a collaborative spirit by phil and, and tom and um kelly ward the director oh my gosh it's been unreal man it's been so much fun and everything goes back cool. to every voice you do in these these things if you can connect it back to um i don't think it's spoilers to say there's an episode with some dinosaurs in it and we were talking about the train ride at disneyland where you yeah. go through the dinosaur exhibit primeval world yeah. yeah 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 so i was doing an impression specifically of the brontosaurus that has the lettuce like the yeah but like the, the way that animatronic moves its mouth yeah, that, and oh, and that oh, specific yeah. yeah exactly that specific sound <laughs> they were like like, 
that's it. That's perfect. Because they're trying to be reverential to um, self-referential to to all things Disney. Like, you know, the point where like the first episode, um, Funny the Funhouse, voiced by Harvey Guillon, mm-hmm. um, turns into the Disney castle and there's a firework and it goes do 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 do. Like it's very, <laughs> very on the nose for the parents. Um, and even more on the nose for the actors. <laughs> like we are, we are having so much fun on this show and I, appropriately it's fun house, right? It's a show I wished was on when I was a kid. Cause it is everything I love about the Mickey characters. It is wacky. It is lighthearted. Um, I'm not getting asked to publicize the show. I just really love it. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, to be Teddy and Sneasel on this have been unreal. Cause I get to like the best of both worlds. I get to be like sort of with the fab five. And then I also right. get to be in the bad guy group, which is really kind of a fun dynamic. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great answer. And it's worth noting that, you know, your career has been a little bit unusual in that you've kind of worked your way up through the ranks at Disney specifically, you know, going from doing uh, uh, doing Turtle Talk at the parks to you've worked, uh, you did a lot of different roles on Milo Murphy's Law to, you know, you've done quite a few different Disney roles there. It's really interesting to see that you've kind of worked your way into that stable. I, I couldn't do, replicate it if I tried. It, I, I am very lucky to have some much kinder and smarter people in my corner than I deserve <laughs> and people that um, are risk takers and saw that I love this. And, and you know, I think it's one thing to get the opportunities um, and, and to, to say that, you know, you did a great job with it. But I think it's also really important to say, like, I would not be where I am without the kindness of, of some really incredible people in casting, not limited to Sarah Sherman, Kristen Piva. Dave Wright, um, and a lot of other people at Nickelodeon, a lot of other people all over the casting world, um, have been in my corner, um, Julia Bianco, uh, Chip Beeman. But the the point is like any actor, I I am, my, my career is a constellation of happy accidents in right place, right time. (laughs) The Disney stuff tickles me to no end. Um, I, there's something coming out in December that I'll tell you about later um, yeah. that you will just. And there's know. not something recording this for a national audience that could yeah, yeah. completely but, destroy but an NDA. That you will know <laughs> means so, will mean something very different to me and anyone who knows me will know that this particular achievement is like I could be done tomorrow. I don't want to be, but I could be done after this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's kind of. The, the crazy part is um, going back to Disney. And, and I um, when I worked at the park, towards the end of it, um, I was what they call a plaid or a VIP tour guide. So I would spend yeah. most of the day in city hall taking complaints. And then one or two Saturdays a week, Saturdays a week, one or two weekend days a week. Um, wow. I'm tired. Uh, I would lead the, um, uh, oh, discover the magic tour, which was the best yeah. thing ever. And I basically, oh, those fantastic. It's, it's the job I wanted, but I was up at universal instead. So it was <laughs> so fun. Um, and basically they would put you in like short, khaki pants and a big full blue shirt with your with your gold button yeah and you lead a group of 12 kids through disneyland on a scavenger hunt that mickey's trying to get you to tune house and you have to find all the clues yeah and you lose yourself in it even doing it over and over and over again it was the most fun ever but i sort of got this ritual that after my shift would happen a lot of people don't know this but on any given night um they don't turn the lights off so the attraction music plays and certain things that are like interactive play all night yeah so I was located at City Hall, so I'd walk through Main Street, and I would stop at the Main Street Cinema, and I would sit for like 20, 30 minutes and just watch the silent cartoons, and I would practice the voices, and I would just think about what it would be like to someday get here. What better place in the world to practice than Disneyland? I mean, my God. And then I'd walk through Main Street all the way back, because you could park in Toontown as a cast member, Mm -hmm. and I would walk through Toontown, and I would high-five Goofy's gas station. And I would think about someday getting to voice a character that would be worthy of that world. And yeah, yeah here I am. Yeah. So. Wow. That's, I just that's feel incredible. very lucky. I really do. And I owe it all to Jack Angel. That's three. That's three. <laughs> <laughs> You've got excellent comic timing, my friend. I had a really so good solid. teacher. I had a really good teacher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine who could have taken on the task of teaching you stand-up comedy. Taming. Taming me is more like Taming you. <laughs> you actually got to perform at, on the live We Talk Funny show. So Which fun. was such a blast because you, you got to perform in front of an entire audience that, you know, half the audience was other voice actors, which the, is a kick. The other uh, half were like know. casting or <laughs> agents. Yeah, so that so was like. So many agents and casting directors. And it's like, please, please don't let me screw this up. <laughs> oh, no, it was it was great. Um, I think I did it twice. And, and you did, yeah. 
Well, you meant you mentioned Kristen Piva, who was out in that audience. Oh yeah, yeah. She and was, Brett there. was there. Brett was there. Yeah. Uh, uh, Daniel Ross was there. Uh, and of course, uh, Andy the Merrill were there. Um, who I became friends with, Andy, who voices Andy Merrill, who was yeah. yep. because of you, because of this. And Andy and I both, you know, unbeknownst to most people, we both have nerves. And so we were backstage in the green room, and we were both schwitzing at the same time, and just became really uh, to this day. I mean, really, I text him weird Rankin Bass things because he did this great. Uh, Put the one foot in front of the other. <laughs> I'm talking about the Rankin Bass stuff. So you've done comedy and uh, um, other skills, you know, like that, learning improv and stand up and such. How important do you think it is for a voice actor to have more skills, you know, more arrows in their quiver, like stand up comedy and improv and such, rather than just focusing on what they're doing in the booth? Oh, so important. Um, I, I mean, I, sorry, I feel like all of my answers are like other people's answers, but um, <laughs> Alan Rickman had a great response to that question, which was like, you know, how do you how do you become a good actor? And uh, I do a horrible Alan Rickman, but it was like, go to a museum. And his whole thing was like, go fishing, go do something yeah. unrelated to your acting. Um my improv training and sketch training, uh, also with you know, I, I got to work with the great Fred Willard, which changed my life. Like learning comedic timing skills outside of a booth with other performers I really respected changed the game. Yeah. But I, I will say the best advice I've ever gotten was from Bill, which is just make yourself laugh if it is funny to you. So having an understanding of your own comedic sensibility and what makes you laugh, if you don't feel really comfortable to start going to do stand up, at least go see stand up. Go watch comedy. Have an understanding of like, it's math, right? So there's music right. to it. So if, if you don't know who Red Skelton, Jack Benny, Abbott and Costello are, or, you know, if you've never watched the Golden Girls or Monty Python, start exposing yourself to different kinds of comedy. Because, uh, and this is the other thing I would say, um, the further I've gotten into my career, the more I've realized the people that I'm working with are big nerds like me. And if you work backwards, Very true. <laughs> right, a lot of the showrunners, and we've talked about this, you're friends with some writers on, on some amazing programs, they tend to have a similar headspace, right? Yeah. So if you think like, okay, the CP on the show is about 42 years old, which means when they were growing up, would have put it at about early 80s. So if you haven't watched like 80s comedy or 70s comedies or even mid 90s comedies, now's the time to put that on your homework list because those references and keystones are going to help you because you just go, okay, wait, so am I so-and-so from Clueless? And they nod or they say no. And then you come up with another movie reference and um, pop culture becomes a really great shorthand. Like on a yeah. scale from one one to, um, you know, Frankenfurter, how Tim Curry am I right now? So those are the <laughs> things that are really helpful. And if you don't watch a lot of comedy, you might not have an understanding of that. Well, I love that advice there, that, that you know, which is very true, that pop culture really is a shorthand in this business, in voiceover, that we oftentimes reference other performances and, you know, who did what. You know, I've, I've voiced a lot of like uh, um, you know, very high energy characters of questionable sanity. Yes. And oftentimes the the benchmark for that is, you know, how Mark Hamill are you going on it? Yeah, great. Uh, you know, yeah, great example. Same kind of thing. Um, and then just knowing the properties, even if it's not something that you're directly referencing, knowing the properties for the conversation that you're having with these showrunners, with these directors that have gotten into the business because they love this stuff too. I know that uh, uh, John Bailey was just working on a project with uh, Adam Goldberg. Uh, based on uh, uh, the love of garbage pail kids, you know, just weird referential stuff like that can really, really pay off. I've had long rambling conversations about black box NES games and, you know, uh, uh, exactly where a Jeffrey's tube would go on a starship. <laughs> yeah, but so having that kind of knowledge of pop culture, so having a layman's concept of pop culture for the stuff you're not interested in so if you don't yeah. like horror at least watch make yourself watch a couple of the classic ones sure watch the shining the big ones but if you don't love a genre you don't have to be feral about it but find your thing in, in pop culture if you know the most about sci-fi or star wars or fantasy and lord of the rings go there because yeah. you're going to find other people that you work with that that's going to help you yeah um as goofy as it sounds, do you know how many conversations I've had started in a booth simply because I love wearing ridiculous shirts like these Roosevelt shirts that that embrace IPs from my childhood? I talk um, to my girlfriend I, about been, it all the time. So She's many like, times that yeah. somebody be like, "Oh, your shirt is covered in pop tarts. I love pop tarts as a kid," and it leads to a conversation, which can lead to work. Yeah, no, exactly, and and also if you. 
I think sometimes too, like I like wearing t-shirts cause it's more, uh, um, or, or like you're saying something with a symbol on it because it's, it's a fun way to like start a conversation. And, and sometimes if I'm not feeling, and this is my own thing, if I'm not feeling really good about myself or my performance or my body or whatever's happening that day. And, yeah. and let's face it, we're actors. Something's always happening. Um, it's hard not to feel kind of cool when you have a Superman shirt underneath. You know what I mean? It's hard. Absolutely. It's hard not to have something. Um, so for me, I will wear t-shirts kind of like totems and, yeah. you know, I've got my tiny tune shirt. I've got, you know, these aren't things I'm currently working on, but these are things that are giving me strength. I've done the exact same thing. Oftentimes when I'm going to record a video game, I've got a favorite Super, Super Mario Brothers 3 shirt that I'll wear. I'm not working for Nintendo necessarily, right. but I love that shirt. I love that property. And it, it it empowers me to know that, hey, I'm contributing to something that is also going to go out into this world, that some other kid is going to be playing a character that I've voiced and I'm going to touch them for a moment in the way that th- these properties touched me when I was that age. And well, that's and to, phenomenal. To, to your point, like also being a fan and when people know you're a fan of things, it kind of becomes like that thing where like everyone's got the grandma that's super into lighthouses, but it's just because someone gave grandma a lighthouse and someone thought she liked lighthouses and now she has a hundred lighthouses. <laughs> you get known as the fan of the thing. In yeah. this case, for me, it's Ghostbusters. And yeah. I just wanted to bring up a really quick story about how last year you sent me right when this pandemic had started, you sent me one of my favorite gifts to this day, which was this really cool using the Roosevelt fabric, the Ghostbusters COVID mask, Yep, which I still get compliments on because people are like, because it's the the same fabric as the shirt, but it's just so cool. And uh, what a great I have one that I wear myself and I, uh, uh, you know, because it's cut from a, a chunk of the fabric, there's, you know, everyone looks a little bit different. I ordered several of them just so that I could pick out one in particular because everybody wanted the Venkman one. And I was like, no, I want the one that has Winston on the center. Because Correct. nobody appreciates Winston. <laughs> I love Winston. I, I got to meet Ernie Hudson with um, Eric Bowser and his son and our friend Aaron. Uh, we went to, so so to my point, I just named three other voice actors and probably a future voice actor. Um, and uh, in talking about the fandom, Ghostbusters brought me together with other actors, you yeah. and Eric and Aaron. And um, m- my God, like how cool is that? This is something from our childhood. The Ecto-1s came out from Kenner. I dropped a lot of money to pre-order them and I gave a lot of friends and I have one for you, by the way. And I have <laughs> a, in, in the box, let, let me grab it. Let me show you. Okay. Again, going to edit this chunk out because it's audio. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. Yeah. So that's for you. And that is, <sighs> we'll, we'll describe it. And um, so they, they did a re-release of that's the, the, the- from the real Ghostbusters in the eighties, yeah, it's the re-release of the of the, the Ecto One vehicle. Yeah, and it is. I, oh. I have not even opened mine yet because I, I like holding it. I can't wait to give this to you. But the, it's the exact dimensions that I remember. Um, it fe- the weight's the same, and the art is kind of faded. Like they did such a good job. That is like so cool. So I that bought is... a bunch for my Ghostbuster friends because oh, I was thank like, you, buddy. Yeah, thank course, you. Man. Well, I mean, yeah, you you had your your birthday party a couple of years ago that was the the Ghostbusters birthday party where it was all the Ghostbusters stuff out of the arcade and it was amazing how many voice actors were out there that were all huge Ghostbusters fan I spent a, a lot of time sitting there talking Ghostbusters with uh, Brian Stevenson yes and I love just, Brian <laughs> Brian's awesome <laughs> that's great yeah this this just made me so happy and I'm sure people are like not interested anymore but it's just like we love what we do and I mean I guess at the end of the day hey, I just feel really lucky stuff awesome <laughs> boring get back to the voiceover career advice how do I get an agent? <laughs> well, listen, uh, before I uh, before I start to, to wrap this all up, uh, I do have something that I want to do here because I always like to play games with my guests. I'm oh, sure. Are you, uh, are you in for a, for a game? Oh, you could say I'm game. Yes. But I wish I had a rim shot button. Ba-dum. There we go. I'm going to have to put that in here sometime. All right. We are going to play a little game called Three Tunes, One Lie. I love that. So the way this game works, I am going to give you the titles of four different cartoons. Okay. Three of them are actual names of cartoon shows, and one of them is a lie. You need to tell me which is not an actual cartoon series. I love this so much, Ken. Let's go. (laughs) All right. First one. A, Shark Dog. B, Bonicula. Yes. C, Frankenferret. D, Monsters at Work. I really wish Frank and Ferret existed, but uh, I'm going to say Frank and Ferret is not a real show yet. 
That is so true. Frankenferret is made up. Shark Dog is brand new on Netflix. Yes. Uh, uh, Banicula was a, a few years back and Monsters at Works on Disney+. Plus. Can I audition for Frankenferret before D gets in? Just real quick. Oh, well, I mean, once D's in. Well, there, here, I'm just going to do it now. Left. Here we go. Here we go. There you go. Nice. I liked, I liked that I got a little bit of monstrous, monstrous in the end of it because, yeah. you know, he's Frankenferret. All right, question number two. A, Centaur World. B, Unicorn Planet. C, Future Worm. D, The Nutty Squirrels Present. Wow. This is a tough one. I want to say B is not a real show. Oh, you thought I was just going to stay easy the whole time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are right, you going with uh, B, Unicorn yeah. Planet? Yeah. Yes! You are correct. Unicorn Planet is not real. Centaur World is on Netflix right now. Future Worm was a few years ago on Disney XD. And The Nutty Squirrels Present was a compilation show back in the 60s. I've ne- Wait, Yeah, send me that. I've never heard of that. Yeah, that was, a, that was an obscure one. That was that an was obscure a good, one. That was a good one. All right. Number three. Sammy and his Sunday suit. Tennessee Tuxedo and his tails. Dodo, the kid from outer space. Or Ollie, the boy who became what he ate. These all sound made up. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Okay, can, can we can we do process of elimination? Do you mind? Okay, all right. Uh, Tennessee Tuxedo is a show. Okay, Ollie. I'm not going to say a, you're right or wrong. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Ollie is a show. Okay. Uh, and what were the other two? Sammy and his Sunday suit, or Dodo the kid from outer space. I'm going to say Dodo, the kid from outer space, is not a real show. Oh, my God. You were so close. Sammy and his Sunday suit is not a real show. Damn it. Dodo, the kid from outer space, ran for five seasons back in the late 60s. Oh, my God. Well, I, you know, it was on CBS, I think. Sammy and his Sunday suit sounded like um, Davy and Goliath. It sounded like one of those, like, like Orville kind of claymation things. Yeah. I'm surprised you knew Ollie, the boy who became what he ate, which is a CBC series up in Canada. I I somehow had a vague recollection that that was a show. Wow. Yeah. All right. Question number four. We've got two two out of three so far. That's not too bad. Okay. A, Gravedale High. B, The Shadows Have Teeth. C, Bump in the Night. D, Teenage Euthanasia. Okay. Teenage Euthanasia is a show on Adult Swim right now. Uh, bump in the night. I think bump in the night was a claymation show with Mr. Bumpy that I used to love with Rob Paulson and Jim Cummings. Um, the, uh, the Gravedale, is that what you said? Gravedale high. I want to say that's the fake one because monster high is the thing, but that could have been a weird spinoff on CW. I don't know. So I'm going to say Gravedale. (laughs) Gravedale high was a series that ran for one season on NBC in 1990. Damn it. The Shadows Have Teeth is not a real series. Oh. Yet. Oh. oh wah, so bummed. That's okay. Wah, Sorry, wah. buddy. You, wah, make it, you, can, you can make it up here. You're going you're gonna to bring this back. Okay, let's go. You started strong, and I, I've got faith. You're going to come back here. All right. Number five. A, the 7D. B, 3D two-day. C, Ballmasters 9009. Mm-hmm. D, Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. Okay. Sherlock is a show. Ballmaster 9009 is a show. Um, my buddy who I mentioned, Eric Bowser, I believe is on that show. 7D, my mentor, Bill Farmer, was Doc on that show. Uh, so whatever came after. <laughs> 3D Today. That's not a real show. Yay! You are correct. Ooh, I was sweating. I was you knew sweating. all those ones. See, I knew you had it in you. I knew you had this. All right. Here we go. Number six. This one's a little tougher. Oh, oh good. Yeah. Good, yeah. <laughs> Number six. A. Coconut Fred's Fruit Salad Island. That's real. B, Billy Dilly's Super Duper Subterranean Summer. That's real. C, Sally and Her Seashore Seashells. D, Brad Neely's Hargnallen Scorpio Pipio. Oh, you're a mean man. Uh, the, <laughs> so I'm stuck on the last two because I know Coconut Fred was the SpongeBob competitor with Rob Paulson in, in the, the, the lead role, I think. And I believe Eric Bowser was an animator uh, on that, weirdly. So I know way too much about my friends. Uh, <laughs> after that, you said what? Billy Dilly's Super Duper Subterranean Summer. That was on at the same time as Milo Murphy's Law on Disney XD. So that is okay. a real show. 
Sally and her seashore seashells. Man. Or Brad Neely's Hard Nallon Scorpio PPO. That is too specific to be fake, I feel. So I'm going to say Sally's seashells something something is fake. Yes. You are correct. Brad Neely's Hard Nallon Scorpio PPO was a show on Adult Swim from animator Brad Neely, who worked on Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Oh, well, that makes a lot of <laughs> Yeah, why it has such a bizarre name that makes no sense. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> All right. All right. You, you, yeah, you're doing good now. You're, you're like 66%. That's a, that's, that's a D average. You know, Look, I works. graduated with a 66, so that's fine. <laughs> Number seven. A, Blood of Zeus. Yes. B, Ben Franklin's time-traveling kite. God. C, Sinbad Jr. and his magic belt. D, The Magical Adventures of Quasimodo. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> no! Quasimodo is not real. I don't care if I'm wrong. Quasimodo can't be real. It's real? That was a show on Family Channel in 1996 that was counter-programmed to, to rip off uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. The Magical Adventures of Quasimodo? Quasimodo. Yes, the, the fake one was Ben Franklin's time-traveling kite. Yes, Sinbad Jr. and his magic belt was an actual show in the my, 60s. My God. <laughs> I, I can't get over Quasimodo. That's Quas the, the magical adventures of Quasimodo. Quasimodo. Wow. <laughs> I don't even care that I'm sucking at this game. This is I'm getting an education. Surprisingly, did not last more than one season. Wow. <laughs> can't can't believe that. Didn't have enough backers. But I'm bum. But I'm Gonna get sorry, that my, button. Yeah, sorry, my hunch was wrong. Oh no. <laughs> uh, you know, I can cut this off early, my friend. Please do. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> Question number eight. A the fungies. B the jellies. C the hoochies. D Jeff and some aliens. Okay, the hoochies is not real. Fungies is real, jellies is real, and Jeff and some aliens is real. Got it. Nailed it. You knew that one. I know right. my hoochies, and that's not a cartoon. Yet. Question nine. A, trash truck. B, Cadillacs and dinosaurs. C, NASCAR <laughs> racers. D, grandpa's gas guzzler. Oh, my God, Ken. Um, <laughs> I don't. So NASCAR definitely feels real because I that, I feel like they're like the WWE of automobiles. They'll slap their name on anything. So NASCAR's real. <laughs> the dinosaur in the Cadillac feels real. Uh, Grandpa's gas guzzler rings a bell. What was the other one? Trash truck. I'm going to say trash truck isn't real. God damn it. Oh, man. Trash truck is the only one that's currently running. It's on Netflix. It's trash a, it's truck? A, trash truck. It's a small. It's It's like a toddler show on on there it's it's about a kid and his best friend who is a trash truck and they go off and have adventures i hate it <laughs> <laughs> guess where you're not booking a job that's well no, that's gra okay grandpa's gas guzzler was not real yet yet always yet and one more this is the last one and i feel like you i feel like you need to get this one to redeem yourself so I'm, I'm crossing my fingers here is it a mickey mouse funhouse Please mm. say that that is probably real or they're going to otherwise, otherwise they're just putting you in a booth and you don't know where you are. <laughs> That's also accurate. Is this, is this grandpa's gas guzzler? <laughs> a Mickey Mouse fun house. B Mickey Mouse clubhouse. C Mickey Mouse's house of mouse. D Mickey Mouse brothel house. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Grammatically, it should have been Mickey Mouse Whorehouse, but I couldn't bring myself to say that. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say D is, is not real. Yet. <laughs> no comment. I just want you to know that I'm not making a comment. Okay. It's very important that you don't make a comment because we just did a whole conversation about how you're working with Disney a lot. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's, it's weird. My my headphones cut out for the last however long that segment lasted. I couldn't hear anything you said. So I've just been nodding. Right, right. Nothing, <laughs> nothing incriminating there at all. Nope. Listen, uh, Brock, before I let you go, any last words of advice you want to give for uh, young actors out there looking to get into the voice biz? Um, Love it. Learn to love it as much as you do right now. Um piece of advice no one ever gave me was don't concern yourself with keeping success once you have it. Concern yourself with keeping it fun. Success will always follow. Fun needs to be first. 
There we go. It's like I'm interviewing a fortune cookie. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, My ribs. (laughs) Ah. Listen, thank you so much for being on the show, Brock. I really appreciate it. And for those of you listening at home, go and check out Mickey Mouse Fun House now on Disney Junior and Disney Plus. I'm going to wrap up the show the same way I wrap up every show with the words my mom would tell me every Saturday when the cartoons had finished. The show's over. Go outside and play. <laughs>